What is up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Yukon Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And on today's podcast, I had the pleasure of talking with Daniel Connolly from the Yukon blog. In this episode, we talk a little bit about the offseason and what to expect from next year's Yukon men's hockey team. And we also recap a little bit of last year as well, talking about UConn's road to the Hockey East Championship game. So a fun conversation that I had with Daniel, and I'm very excited to share it. However, before I share it, I just want to ask if you can please follow us on social media, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram at the UConn Hockey Pod, where I provide updates on both the men's and women's ice hockey teams and just some opinions on certain things as well. So make sure you follow along for all coverage UConn hockey all year long. So looking forward to um, just doing some off-season stuff. I'm, I assume it's going to slow down a little bit in the next few weeks, but um, obviously news can pop up at any time, and there's some hockey's news that could pop up at any time as well. So uh, make sure you follow along for follow along just so you can get updates on that, just because whenever I see something, I'll post about it and provide some commentary on it as well. So, However, before we get to the conversation with Daniel, there are some things I want to talk about uh, just because it was mentioned in a recent article that Daniel wrote yesterday that we didn't have the chance to talk to him about just because um, this interview was recorded before the article was released. And the first thing I wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about with Daniel was Roman Canal is coming back for his senior year. It's officially official. Um, great news to hear just because I think Roman is one of UConn's best defensemen on the team. I really like him a lot. Obviously faced a, has faced a lot of adversity, missing his entire sophomore year due to a blood clot, and then obviously dealing with some injuries as well during his junior year. But this past year, he was honestly one of UConn's best defensemen. He's just a great skater, and I really felt like he added a lot of offense to his game uh, towards the end of the year. And I think you saw that in the game-winning goal that he scored against Northeastern, where he kind of jumped into the play and buried the rebound that Chase Bradley gave him uh, to give UConn the 2-1 lead against Northeastern in the hockey semifinals. So just a defense all-around good player, and I'm looking forward to him coming back for UConn. I think that's going to definitely be huge uh, for the team next year just to add another, to keep another great defenseman, but to also add a guy with the experience as well, especially since next year's UConn team is going to be a little bit more younger than it was last year. So to have a guy with the experience that has been on those playoff runs that UConn has been on, I think is going to be really beneficial for the team. And I assume he's probably going to be captain next year as well. Uh, that's just my prediction. And I think just because he wore the A last year, I think it just makes sense that he's definitely probably going to be the captain uh, for next year's team. Obviously, that's not confirmed. It's just me speculating, but definitely a big, big news for UConn and definitely good news to hear. Um, big Roman Canal guy, and I'm excited to have him back for another year, and I think it should be very good to see him play for UConn and excited to see what he does uh, for next year with this team. So that was good news to hear. And then another thing that was talked about in the article with Daniel that I didn't have the chance to talk with him about was the non-conference schedule was kind of officially announced, um, or I guess it was announced what teams that UConn will play for its non-conference schedule. Uh, so here's how it is. Uh, so their non-conference schedule for next year will be two home games against Union College, two home games against Ohio State, a home game against Alaska Fairbanks, a home game against LIU, and then a road game against LIU as well. And then 
potentially a game at Madison Square Garden against Cornell. However, that has not been finalized yet, but it's most likely going to happen. And then obviously the two games against, um, obviously the two games at this Connecticut Ice Tournament as well will count as some non-conference games. So just my general thoughts on it, and I kind of tweeted about it um, when the news was uh, released, was I think it's a okay non-conference schedule. I don't think it's great, but I also don't think it sucks as well. So let's just talk about the positives first of the schedule, and then I'll, or at least my opinion on what I think is the positives of the schedule, and then kind of go into what I'm not the biggest fan of, I guess. Uh, so the positives of the schedule is I really like that they're playing some new teams that we haven't seen before in Alaska Fairbanks and LAU. Obviously, their LAU is kind of a newer D1 program, and Alaska Fairbanks, I'm not sure when they started, but just it's going to be cool to see kind of two new teams um, coming to UConn and seeing uh, what they have to offer. Uh, so just from a fan perspective and just from a college hockey fan perspective, uh, just because I've never seen these two teams play before in person, I think that's going to be really interesting and fun to see two teams uh, from kind of unique areas just because obviously LAU's want, there's, they're the only college hockey team in the Long Island area. And then obviously a college hockey team from Alaska is pretty cool. So just having the chance to see two teams uh, from areas that you don't really think of when you think of college hockey, I think are is going to be really fun for myself just as a college hockey nerd and someone who wants to eventually see every single D1 college hockey team play in person. So I'm really looking forward to that, and that was kind of a fun thing to see in the non-conference schedule. Also, I'm very excited for the Ohio State uh, weekend series. I know some people were a little disappointed to hear that news just because they feel like UConn always plays Ohio State in their non-conference schedule. However, I think it's just going to be a fun matchup. One, just because Ohio State, I think, is going to be a really solid team next year. They're bringing back some key players. And as a Bruins fan, I'm looking forward to seeing Mason Lowry play just because obviously he had a very good freshman year. And I'm looking forward to see what he's done. He's doing, going to do in his sophomore year and to get the chance to see him play in person. Uh, as a Bruins fan, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Just They're also a really good team. And I think it's going to be a big game for pairwise implications because we saw how it affected UConn. Uh, because if they won one of those games against Ohio State, they might have had a better chance to make the national tournament as an at-large bid. So I think that's going to be a fun matchup. And just if you think about it from a broader perspective, you know, a lot of casual fans will probably want to go to that game just because Ohio State, uh, that that brand name, people will just want to go, which will obviously help uh, grow UConn hockey and potentially uh, make new fans, I guess, for the program, which is what we are looking for as fans. So I think it's going to be a fun matchup. I'm looking forward to see that team play in person, especially since I didn't have the chance to see that game in person last time Ohio State came. So I think it's going to be a really fun matchup, and I'm really looking forward to seeing Ohio State play in person, and I think that's going to be fun. Just some two good hockey games um, coming up in Hartford um, for next season. So that should be a lot of fun as well. So now let's talk a little bit about my just negativity towards the non-conference schedule. I think the biggest negativity I have is I wish they played a little more teams that could be a top high-end pairwise teams uh, just because Union College they're um, they're getting a new head coach they've been struggling a little bit in the past few seasons I just feel like they're probably not going to be in the high part of the pairwise for next year and I just I don't know I feel like those games could hurt UConn more than help UConn and also LAU and Alaska Fairbanks were near the bottom of the pairwise last year um, I assume that they probably aren't going to be near the top end of the pairwise for next season. Obviously, it's very early, and I don't know too much about those teams, but that's just me making an assumption, and I just feel the same way. I feel like those games are only going to hurt UConn more than help UConn. So 
Um, I'm interested. To see, obviously, it's going to be exciting to see those teams, but at the same time, you know, it would it would be nice to see UConn play maybe like a Harvard or another big ECAC or NCHC um, school come to UConn or UConn go to them, just because I think it would be cool to see maybe a higher-end pairwise team that could help UConn if they won that series. Um, or if UConn lost one of those games, it wouldn't affect them too badly is what I'm trying to get at. So that's my one kind of complaint about the non-conference schedule. That's why I don't think it's great. But overall, I think it's still a pretty good non-conference schedule, and I think those games are going to be really fun to see. And I'm, I hope that Cornell game at MSG happens just because I feel like that should be a lot of fun. Uh, just because UConn's played at many different arenas in the New York area. I think they've played at Barclays Center before. Uh, so for UConn to get the chance to play at the Garden, uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that if that happens. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of UConn fans that will go to that game as well. So that should be fun. So I, uh, to be honest, I like the non-conference schedule a lot, but I also don't think it's like particularly amazing is, I guess, what I'm trying to get at. But overall, not too bad. And I'm looking forward to seeing those teams play for next year. And then the last thing I want to get to that I didn't get the chance to talk to Daniel about was uh, some of the transfer news. Um, we kind of mentioned in the end of the podcast, and he didn't know this um, when we did the interview, but obviously he does now because Gavin Pushkar uh, was in the transfer portal and sh- it will be playing or will be going to Brown next year. Um, obviously, it was a guy that didn't play at all last year, played a few games in his freshman year, but wishing him nothing but the best with Brown. I'm assuming it's for playing time purposes is why he's transferring. So um, obviously, I think there's not much I can really say about it just because he didn't really play that much um, his for, for his first two years with UConn, but definitely has potential just looking at some of the numbers he put up in prep school. So it'll be interesting to see how he does, and I'm wishing him nothing but the best with Brown. I know he's going to do great things with that school. So just kind of provided a little update uh, for the transfer stuff. And then obviously, I guess since I haven't really talked about it and since we haven't really had a real podcast in the past few weeks, um, Artem Schlein and... Carter Berger are also transferring. Uh, Arm Shane's going to Northern Michigan, and Carter Berger is going to Western Michigan. So those are definitely going to be two big losses for UConn, and, and it'll be interesting to see how UConn kind of uh, handles those losses. Obviously, they have some transfers on their own. They're bringing in some big freshmen as well, which I talked to Daniel about, so I don't want to get too much into it now, but it still should be very interesting to see how UConn handles those losses. And I'm very excited to see some of the new players that UConn will be bringing in for next year's team. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, Just some podcasting housekeeping before I get to the interview with Daniel is that um, throughout the offseason, I'm going to be trying to do some player interviews with current and former UConn hockey players from both the men's and women's teams. Uh, So just be on the lookout for that. I think they should be. I'll be trying to get as many players as I can, and I'm really looking forward to hearing some uh, players' perspective at their time at UConn and how they got to UConn as well. I think it should be a lot of fun, and I'll try to provide other different type of content stuff throughout the offseason. Obviously, it's very difficult just because there isn't that much stuff going on, but I'm definitely going to try my best. And obviously, when some big news breaks, I'll definitely talk about it on social media. And if it's really big news, I'll obviously hop on the podcast and talk about it there. So... Um, without further ado, though, here's the conversation that I had with Daniel Connolly. I hope you guys enjoy it, and thank you so much for listening and following this podcast. Bye. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UConn Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and today I'm joined here today by Daniel Connolly of the UConn blog. This is Daniel's second time on the podcast, and I'm very excited to have him back on to talk all things UConn Hockey in a time when there really isn't anything going on right now in the world of college hockey. So, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on and uh, putting out an episode for me 
during the off season because they're very hard to come up with stuff. Yeah. Happy to help. I very much understand the struggle of trying to get episodes out during the off season. So yeah, happy to talk about what's been already a pretty crazy off season. Yeah. Don't worry. There will be some player interviews, not just current players, but also some former players as well from like the Tage Thompson, Maxim Latuna Vera. So there be, be on the lookout for those. And obviously we're going to have some women's hockey players on from the team as well. So I'm looking forward to that, but, uh, I kind of want to start off this podcast talking about the previous season for UConn. Um, obviously, it was a very historical year for UConn, making it all the way to the Hockey's Championship game and losing to UMass. I just want to get your thoughts about the season that was last year and just what your whole thoughts were, because I thought it was one of the best UConn hockey seasons of all time. Honestly, it probably was the best UConn hockey season of all time. It was one of the most fun I ever had watching the team play, but I honestly, if it also felt a little disappointing because you felt like they could have made the tournament. They had some tough losses in the regular season. If they just went beat Vermont that one game, they would have been playing in the regional and it would have been an even better season. So I just was curious about your thoughts on the historical season, but there could have been more to it as, as guess what I'm trying to get, get to. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly it. I think without question, best season under Cav, not even a close second. I don't think last year's even compares probably the best in program history. I mean, they won the Mac tournament in 2000, but I don't know. Are we really going to count that? Was that really anything special? They didn't even have an auto bid to the tournament. (laughs) Yeah. So great year. Finally get that success in the hockey East tournament. My prediction that once they finally won that first game, they were going to go on a run came true get to the final, get within a goal of beating UMass who I thought in that game was a very, very, very clearly was a better team. And UConn had a chance to steal it, but, you know, I think the result that deserved to happen deserved that happened. And the one thing is definitely they didn't get to the NCAA tournament. And I don't think the Vermont game would have gotten them there, but if, let's say, the goaltender interference doesn't happen against Northeastern, then I think they probably win that game. That doesn't seem like a hot take. I don't think they lose to... Vermont following and do those two results get them over the hump? I don't know. I could plug it into college hockey's pairwise calculator, but there were just, I mean, that's just the margin of error that you have, especially in what was a down year for hockey East. I think that was part of it too, where there wasn't really that top tier team that UConn or that would have boosted all of hockey's. It was probably UMass in one tier. And then, I mean, you could argue how many teams were in tier two. Like it was, there was not much, and even you could argue that UMass wasn't in tier one because they couldn't even win the regular season title. So you could argue that there wasn't much daylight between the top eight teams. That's great for a competitive standpoint. That's great for parity. That's not great for when you're trying to get into a 16-team NCAA tournament with a lot of teams. So, I mean, not that hockey's didn't do well, but it didn't benefit UConn. So that's the one thing that I think you can have an issue with, but it's still a very historic season, still so much accomplished. And I think it's a really good foundation for them to build off because as I've said before, now you can have a lot of hope for the next era. They checked off new things this year. They got knocked out in the first round again. What else, <laughs> what, what's different this year than what they did last year? I don't think there really is a whole lot. So this year, yeah. Now this era, this group, they got to the hockey East final and they couldn't get over the hump four years ago or five years ago, that first hockey East group, they got to a fifth place finish and that was where they maxed out. 
where's the next group going to max out? Is it making the NCAA tournament? Is it winning a hockey East championship? Is it getting to the frozen four? Is it winning a national championship? You can at least let your imagination run wild with it for a little bit because there is that excitement. There is that anticipation and you've got your head coach still. Oh yeah. Well, honestly, Daniel, going to the garden for that weekend was the best experience I've ever had as a UConn hockey fan. And I want to go back again. That's how much, like how much fun I had. So and just that game against Northeastern, first of all, shame on Northeastern, you're in Boston, and there was like so many more UConn fans there. But just the way UConn just dominated that game and really found a way to break Devin Levi, which not a lot of teams have done this year, I think really like gave me a lot of confidence that the program is heading in the right direction. And you saw a lot of bright spots this year as well from a lot of UConn's younger players like Torvberg. Let's be honest, I didn't expect Torvberg to have the season that he had this past year. I thought Hutchin Shandor, if he didn't help dealt with injuries this year, he would have had a breakout year. So I'm expecting a lot from him next year. And then obviously, you know, you have the goaltending with some of the younger players coming up like Wood and Sergeyev. So I think the, the future is bright for this UConn hockey program with Cav coming back with the new rink coming. I'm just looking forward to next year. And I think there's big things ahead for this UConn program. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a great season. And like you said, just those little mistakes, like if they won that Ohio State game at the beginning of the year, who knows what could have happened. If they yeah. didn't, Turnbull didn't take that penalty against BU in the second game of the year, who knows what could have happened. So it's just like those little moments, like really I feel like jeopardize UConn's chance to win the national tournament or make the national tournament and just shows you how close ho- college hockey is and just how much parity there is across um, the leagues nationwide. Right. The best team that UConn's had so far can't even get to the national championship. So I think that kind of puts into perspective how long this build has reasonably needed to take, because I know there were some frustrations with how long it's taken Cav to get this program just to this point. And you look at the breakthrough year that they had three years ago that got ended by COVID early. They finished in fifth place that season, and they weren't even remotely close to the NCAA tournament. They finished in fourth this year, these last two years, and they were right on the brink. So I think it goes to show just how far of a step they've taken forward in a very short amount of time. And yeah, I really don't know what next season is going to look like. because It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, you add a lot of pieces, a lot of interesting pieces in a lot of different ways. You lose a lot of pieces. But you've also got this relatively sizable core that I think is going to be really hungry and is going to not just be happy taking a step back. I mean, the program fully believes that they're going to be reloading, not rebuilding. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much I fully believe that, but I could definitely see it being the type of year where they start a little slow and then... You, you know, they do the like the ultimate UConn hockey season where <laughs> they start slow, they pick it up at the end of the first half, they go into the winter break, they come out slow in the second half, they catch fire, they get a good seed, then you go into the playoffs. And now, if you run that play every season, but you can actually win playoff games, that's a completely different element because in the past it used to be we'd run the same thing over and again, and they would just lose in the first round and it wouldn't matter. I like their chances if they can this feels like a season where it's all going to be about the hockey tournament. And if you can get hot at the end of the year and get all these pieces together that you're bringing in, then make another run in the hockey tournament. See if maybe you can get a little bit of luck and whoever UMass is next year. Cause I don't think it's going to be UMass, Probably whoever be, it might be. That's my guess. Yeah. Just because they're bringing back a lot of key pieces like Levi and McDonough. They're bringing back Levi and McDonough and you could throw out like, 
a 13 year old <laughs> squad and they're probably still really good. So maybe get some luck and someone else knocks them out and you get an easier draw, or maybe you're just playing so well that you're as good as them because, you know, back to the Northeastern game this year. Yeah. Northeastern won the regular season title, but I never really felt like Northeastern was a better team than UConn. Mm-hmm. Levi, obviously having a great goaltender, a great goaltender is the ultimate equalizer. But in terms of the skaters, I really liked that matchup with UConn. I knew they were going to come in with that chip on their shoulder about the goaltender interference call. I didn't think Levi was going to shut him out. That's what happened. So yeah, I think you just, it's next year. I think the hope of maybe getting that large bid to the tournament might be a little far, but I do really like this team's chances to grow and to develop and get hot for the tournament and make a run there again. Yeah. And I thought UConn was way more physical than Northeastern. Like they pushed them around like Carter Turnbull. He's the same height as me. And he was like destroying like Jordan Harris, Yakov Novak, like really big players. So I feel like that was something that I noticed as well, because watching Northeastern play against Western Michigan, Northeastern was a little more physical than Western Michigan is. And Western Michigan's an old kind of tall team. So I think that was one characteristic that I liked from the UConn team was just the physicality that they brought. I do think one thing to mention with this incoming UConn freshman class is I think a lot of times in hockey East, they, the names and the program brands and all that, they really attract those high end talents, the NHL draft picks. Whereas you look at Minnesota state's roster for the national championship and the frozen four, they had one NHL draft pick on it. And the rest of their guys, the average age of that team was like, 45. They were probably one of the older teams in the NHL if they played in the NHL. Like there were, I think I counted and I've been out of college now two years and they had at least seven guys who were either born in the same year or the year before me on their (laughs) roster. And a lot of UConn's freshmen, they might not be the most heralded guys and they might not be the most talented guys UConn's ever brought in, but they've got, depending on how it all sorts out, because it's not certain by any means, but they've got five Oh one guys coming in at the very least a handful of Oh two guys. Those are older players. They're more veteran players. And I think we see that some programs just succeed better doing that. Quinnipiac right down the road is a really good example. That's how they build their program. Not necessarily with the draft picks. So I think it's a little bit of team different team building for UConn but I am interested to see how it works out because you look at some of their numbers and they don't really jump off the page. But you know, when you've got a guy like Twerberg and a guy like Hudson Chandor, who I also think is probably going to put up good numbers next year. And you're bringing in Adam Don, Tiamonte and Justin Pearson and you know, whoever else makes the jump next year. I think Chase Bradley is going to have a really good year next year. You don't necessarily need, or as we saw, even just in these playoffs, you don't need your fourth line to be these, this huge scoring line. The way that line played is a very big reason UConn got to the final and they don't get to the final without that line, even though they really didn't produce a whole lot on the score sheet. So if you get guys like that who can just come in and play good hockey and help you win games, even though you're not necessarily getting production out of them, that's really valuable in a different way than, you know, is traditionally thought of. So I am interested in this freshman class. I don't really know a ton about it. But I think it is a bit of a – maybe it's just for this year, but it is a bit of a shift in what they're doing. Yeah, at least they have the experienced decor, though. That's, I think, one thing that mm-hmm. I think would be beneficial for UConn is at least they're going to have guys who have experience on the back end. So if those freshmen make mistakes, there's at least veterans there to kind of compliment and kind of shadow those mistakes a little bit that those freshmen make, which I think will be huge. So, 
But yeah, what was your favorite game from this past year before we kind of move on to the offseason? For me, it's so hard to choose between that BU game just because it was the first playoff win. And oh my gosh, I was so happy to beat BU. Just a team that's always pushed UConn around and to finally get over the hump and fire Albie and beat that BU team was really, really awesome. But then that Northeastern game at the Garden was one of the best experiences I've ever had as a UConn fan. So, but there was other games as well. Like that UMass win on the road was so much fun as well. So there's so many to pick from, but those are the three highlights for me. I couldn't decide which one. Yeah. With BU, I think, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the goal that Chase Bradley scored and the celebration that came out of it, the empty netter might've been the single best moment in UConn's hockey's history. That was one of those times where when you walk out of the rink and when it happens, you're like, wow, I'm witnessing something special. Goosebumps. So yeah, I think that one's probably going to be really hard to top just because it's not, it wasn't just a playoff game. They needed that so badly. Mike Cavanaugh's reaction showed that <laughs> he needed that one badly. I do wonder, you know, if they don't get that, does maybe he think, all right, maybe I've maxed out here. Let me go try, try it at BU or BC. Does, you know, maybe the athletic department start getting a little bit of cold feet and start putting some pressure on him differently. Does that affect the way that they go into the portal and can get some of these guys? So I think that was really a program changing win. And it's hard to put another one over that, especially with just the culmination that Chase Bradley's goal was. Northeastern, I think just from start to finish, that was more of a, it almost felt like a party the entire game. Mm -hmm. I don't remember that one being overly stressful. I always kind of felt like they were going to win that game. I almost lost, I almost died that night. Like when I came out to overtime, it was like, oh my gosh, because UConn was just... People are saying, like, oh, UConn, like, gave UMass a battle. I'm like, personally, I didn't see it. I thought UMass just dominated from that third period into overtime. And then, of course, the DJ plays all too well by Taylor Swift, and it's just like, oh, my oh. gosh. And then, like, yeah. when Aaron Bollinger got that goal, I was just – my hands were to my face. I'm like, dang, like, this stinks. And then every time I watch Bruins games now, they show that hockey East banner with the 2020. Yep. And it just makes me so sad because that UConn was one goal away to – putting their names up in that banner, which is all I want to see because I'm so tired of seeing other teams get that name on that hockey's banner. You know, the one redeeming quality there is about that banner is that hockey's absolutely half-assed the hell out of it. They literally <laughs> just put a 2022 like piece of fabric over the 2021. So it looks horrible. That's like the one redeeming quality about yeah. it is it looks horrible and it would have looked a lot better if UConn was on it. Another game that I think we really do need to mention is the first ever win at BC. Oh, that was fun. Because that was just unbelievable. The swing, like it was a great game the whole time throughout. And then the power play when the power play really couldn't do anything scores, the go ahead goal. And then they play so well down the stretch and then BC just breaks free out of the zone and scores with 54 seconds left and Cav calls the timeout and, Kevin O'Neill comes down and wins the game and totally stuns the crowd. And that's the way they get their first ever win at Kelly rink. That one I think is really special like BU and Northeastern. Those are special because of what the situation was and the context of it in terms of just strictly what was the best, most entertaining game this season. It was that one. And that honestly might be the most entertaining game I've ever covered of the entire hockey East era. So that was just a great game too, if nothing else. 
Yeah, when Chase Bradley got the empty there and Brass Bonanza played and, like, the whole crowd, like, that was the best crowd of the season at the XL by far. It was, like you said, goosebumps moment and definitely, like, one of the best moments in UConn hockey history. So hopefully more of those uh, for next year and in the new rank. And just a quick question about the mm-hmm. new rank. Uh, will Brass Bonanza be the goal horn? Because I know my guy, Hurley Mania, keeps talking about it on Twitter, so I'm assuming he wants to know. That is a great question that I actually don't know the answer to, but I do have a solution that I think might be appropriate. So I am very pro brass bonanza. I am too. I was, I was not around for the whalers, but I think it's very clear. The whalers still hold a place in Connecticut's heart. And I am a diehard whalers fan, even though they do not exist. So I love brass bonanza. I think it's great after goals at UConn games, because I really feel like UConn is almost the spiritual successor to the whalers because it's the local team and it's the local players in a sense whereas like i don't think the wolf pack ever really had that same attachment to the city they just play in hartford they're not hartford's team so at the same time i do understand the argument that you should play the fight song because that's the college hockey atmosphere Mm -hmm. and i do get that too and i didn't mind it at TD Garden, although I think it would have been really fun for them to have played Brass Bonanza at TD Garden. So my solution, which I think is honestly pretty great, mm-hmm. is you play Brass Bonanza in Hartford because that's the Whalers' old home. And when you're on campus, that's where you have the marching band play the fight song. I agree. That's Because a good that's the college ha- hockey atmosphere. And I'm one of the very few people, I think, or at least I'm one of the few people that's willing to actually say it, where I don't really mind the split with Hartford. Maybe I think I would probably prefer it to be less than 50-50 in terms of more games at Gamble, if we're talking basketball, than at XL. But I see the value in playing in Hartford. And especially hockey, I think they have such a unique thing in Hartford that no other hockey school can really replicate because what other hockey school is playing in a similar situation? The Boston schools, they're not going to be playing at the TD Garden. And the TD Garden is its own unique thing. And UMass they're not going to play in Springfield because no one in Springfield cares yeah, about UMass is, um, in Springfield. So that's the only, they do. Yeah. But I also feel like that's different because they literally just don't have a rank. I, I mean, UConn doesn't either, but I feel like UConn has a unique connection with playing in Hartford and just with the history of the whalers and Hartford being this historic hockey town. I do like the idea of continuing to play games there, even though I would like to see plenty in the new rink. So if I were in charge, that's how I would split it up because I think you really get that nice mix of the two. You get both atmospheres and I think you can kind of please both groups who, those who want to keep brass bonanza, those who want the fight song or just don't like brass bonanza. But yeah, for me to say that I think somewhere brass bonanza shouldn't be played that, honestly takes a lot because I love Brass Bonanza. Yeah, and a lot of the Whalers fans that they were telling me that, like, they became UConn fans just because that was, like, the only team in town. So, like you said, mm-hmm. like, they're kind of like – UConn's kind of like Connecticut's new hockey team in some ways. So, yeah, and I personally think they should play more games at the new rank just because you spend all that money for that rank. Why not use it for, like, half the games? But yeah. I feel like they should play maybe, like, a handful of games in Hartford just to please that crowd a little bit. But – I also live closer to stores, so for me, it's that's that's probably why I want more games at, on campus. But I see the argument for stores. I know there's some people who hate it, so it's like it's just like you're not going to please everyone, so might as well make it like sixty forty. Right, and I mean, you get those Tuesday night games; they don't have them as much as they used to. But don't stick those in Hartford. You're going to have twenty people showing up to Hartford. Put those in stores. 
I don't, the students don't really come out a ton, at least for the smaller sports during the week, but I still feel like that's a better, I mean, if you have a thousand people in the new rink, that is very different atmosphere than if you have a thousand people or less in the XL center. So mm-hmm. I think put some of those games there, find a good balance between bringing those big opponents to town because yeah, you want to play those tough teams in your home on campus rink where the atmosphere is going to be a little more intense, but you'll probably get a bigger draw in Hartford when those teams come in because BU travels well, BC travels well, UMass is starting to travel well. So I think you just kind of got to find the right balance with it. I think I've always said that I think one third Hartford, two thirds in stores would be a really nice way to do it for both teams. And especially when you play two, three weekends sometimes before students get back on campus. I think that's really the time to play a lot of those Hartford games and get a lot of them in. So maybe a couple early in the year, coupled down the stretch, those right after the winter break, but then everything else, put them on campus. Yeah, because I think the student atmosphere is why I like college hockey so much. And that's the one thing that UConn doesn't have compared to the other hockey schools is just that great student collection. Yeah. And I feel like that would improve a lot improve a lot with the new stadium on campus. So that's why I want more, want more games on campus as well than at Hartford. Right. I mean, it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. And I think there's also an element of if you can start to build that student body and that student atmosphere in stores, then it's a lot easier to translate it over into Hartford. Whereas right now they're just coming up to watch the game in Hartford. There's no real student section the way that there is at plenty of other games that, we see around hockey East and around the country. So I think those two kind of go hand in hand. I don't think it's ever going to be the world's greatest student section in Hartford, but if you can at least get some semblance of a student section there and have it not just be where the students sit, but where it can actually get rowdy and get some chance going and all those sorts of things. I think that could really grow as a result of playing these games on campus. Absolutely. So first thing we should talk about is the coach Kavanaugh news. I know you're going to talk to him tomorrow. So uh, you might have, there might be some more information coming out after this recording, but um, w- what was your initial reaction, I guess, to Coach Kavanaugh staying? And did you think he was ever going to leave? Because obviously there was a report saying that he had a five-year deal with BC and basically it was a done deal. And I, I assumed that he was going to be in the, in the, I guess, in the mix for that BC job, but I wasn't like 100% sure if he was going to take it or not. And I had talked to, I did talk to a source close to the program and they, he said, no, absolutely not. That probably won't happen. So I tweeted that out, and I feel good about myself because I was right about that. So, um, But, no, I was just curious what your whole thoughts on that situation and him staying. Well, it was a very interesting experience because when this all happened, I was in St. Martin, which, if you do not know, is not the United States. And I don't have service when I left the apartment where I was on Wi-Fi. So I'm out in about whole day. Don't have any idea of what's going on. And I get back. <laughs> connect to Wi-Fi and my phone just explodes. I mean, there's UConn basketball news like hitting left and right. And then I see Jerry York retired. And then I see that people are reporting that Cavs already the BC coach. So now I'm firing. I'm home for like 10 minutes and all of a sudden I'm firing off texts and calling people and trying to figure out what's happening. Even before York retired, I always felt like the one place that UConn might have to worry about losing Cav would be to BC. But I spent a lot of time with Cav and I've talked with Cav a lot on and off the record. And I never really ever got a sense that he had any sort of special attachment to BU or I'm sorry, to BC. 
aside from the connection that he had with Jerry York. Jerry York, he once called a father figure in a hockey sense. But, you know, UConn is his program. And yes, there have been three coaches before him, and he's not the first coach, but it's almost a completely new program now that it's in hockey's and he has completely built it from the ground up. They didn't have scholarships for hockey when he first arrived. He had to build it to this point completely on his own, him and his staff. He's done all the legwork and they just got this close to winning the hockey's championship for the first time. And if he can be the guy that turns UConn into a powerhouse hockey program, he will be a legend forever at the program. He will be the coach at the program. As long as the program lives, as long as college hockey exists, as long as the world, as we know it is still going, he is going to be the guy. That's not going to happen. If he goes to BC, he will forever be in Jerry York's shadow. He will forever be the guy that replaced Jerry York. And you know, if he's at UConn and he makes one NCAA tournament over, let's say the next four years, we'll probably throw him a parade. If he makes one NCAA tournament in his first four years at BC, they will give him a parade in that being a bus ticket out of town. (laughs) So the expectations are so high there. The pressure is so high there. Replacing a legend is so tough on top of leaving this program that you've led to such heights that has had so much success. I I don't think I ever actually thought it was going to happen. Yeah, the reports were out there, but Look, I don't mean to take any shots that are unfair, but I, when people are reporting certain things, you got to look at who they cover and why is mm-hmm. someone who's covering one school reporting on the biggest college hockey opening and all the college hockey insiders don't have this information. Mm-hmm. So I always felt like that was questionable. That's why I never confirmed it because like, I was like, I might as well just like put it out there for people that don't know. But like, I also didn't like, I thought I, after the day after the next day, I was like, I find it very weird that no BC reporter at all had anything Mm -hmm. to say about it. Yes. And then like how no UConn reporter said no, like big college hockey reporter said anything about it. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, I feel like we, this, this is probably a little bit suspect. So, um, but I don't know. I'm not, that's why I would never want to be a reporter just because I don't want to get that stuff wrong. So that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm good at where I'm at just being the radio host and talking about the team, not reporting on it. So Mm -hmm. But it's that was definitely I totally agree with you. Where one thing that Cav can get from UConn that he can't get from BC is he can build a legacy at UConn. He can't really do that at BC because it's already been done. Like Calhoun is a legend at UConn because of what he did to the basketball program. Gino's a legend at UConn for what he did for the basketball program. Jim Penders, you can even say, is a bit of a legend at UConn for what he did for the baseball program. If Cav wins a hockey's championship, brings UConn to a um, national tournament he's going to be a legend at UConn and I feel like that's some I feel like for me I would much rather have that than go back to BC where it all started so I kind of see where why he wanted to stay and to be honest I think him staying now just motivates other guys like oh this is cool like now our coach is committed and just as a player I feel like that must motivate you as well to want to fight for that guy yeah when I so I well Actually, I should go back and say that immediate night that the Cav to BC stuff was being reported, I talked to a couple people that are very close to Cav, and both of them said, he hasn't told us anything, and if anyone is going to know, like, he's going to tell us. It's not going to be, like, he's going to take this job, and they're going to be the first ones to find out if anything is happening. And 
wow, in a stunning twist, when it all came to be, they were the guys that they were the ones that understood what was happening and had the insight. They felt that they felt the same way I did where he probably wasn't going to leave for BC because just from their conversations with him from like everything they'd seen him do and the way he acted, they just couldn't see him leaving the UConn program. So then Cav puts out the statement that he's committed to the program. And I reach out to people to just make sure like, this is definitely him saying he's staying, right? This is not just him trying to throw people off the set. And it was, yeah, he's staying. And what I was told was he was up at BC twice in the week that it got announced. And it was made very clear that if he wanted the job, he was basically the guy. And it was him that said, you know what? No, I I think I'm good. I'm going to stay at UConn. Uh, Someone reported and I got confirmed I think it was the BC hockey blog who said a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that UConn came in with an offer too. Obviously um, I heard that was true. I don't know the specifics of the offer or what it entailed or anything like that, but yeah, from my understanding, if Cav really wanted to be BC men's hockey's new head coach, he would be BC men's hockey's new head coach, but he was the one that initiated and, or he was the, the one that said no, as opposed to, as some people speculated, oh, he was just covering because he didn't get the job. No, I, from what I understand, he was the one that turned it down. And it was really funny because BC fans were, are. And oh, not are, even just BC and, fans. Some reporters are very upset. They're like, oh, that's so ridiculous that he didn't turn down the job. I'm like, eh, I like Daniel has his people. I'll, I'll back you up on that. Like, I think that's a bit of a rude reporting to try to like tear someone down when they did all this work to say that Cav was job. So I know who that guy is, so I just want to give him a little dig. <laughs> I never said that they offered him the deal. That That is not what I said. I said that it was his job if he wanted it. That is very different than he had a formal offer on the table. Yeah, sure. If, you know, what's a good analogy here? If you are looking for a new car and you can have any car that you want, and you know you have all these options and you've got the ferrari and you've got a ford focus and you've got a toyota camry and you know you're gonna try out all three options you're gonna see what each has to offer but if the ferrari is sitting right there you're probably gonna end up with the ferrari so even if you don't necessarily end up even if you look at the other two options that doesn't mean that the ferrari wasn't your number one choice so yes i don't know if there was a BC offer from BC, there might've been a handshake offer, a, uh, a little wink offer, but I feel very confident that he was their number one choice. And if, if he truly wanted it, he would have gone and been the new head coach. And it was his decision not to be the head coach and to stay at UConn. And I find it very interesting that they're getting a new AD potentially as well. So maybe that might've led into the decision as well. I don't know if you know anything about that. I just saw the report that yeah. uh, Penn State was interested, which it's quite a decision if you're going to hire an AD to pick Boston colleges. But, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, good for you. Yeah, definitely. So um, just another quick question with the coaching staff. Is Pereira uh, potentially in the for BU? Or is that you haven't heard anything about that? Because I want him to stay. Yeah, I don't believe he's in the mix to be head coach there. I know Mike McMahon said that if – Pandolfo. I can't. Yes. If Pandolfo got the job that Pereira could be in the mix. I don't really see Pereira leaving at all. 
in the same way that this is Cavs program, this is, is almost arguably as much Pereira's program because he's their lead recruiter. He's more or less like the way that Jerry York is a father figure to Cav in the hockey world. Cav is essentially a father figure to Joe in the hockey world. So it's really easy to see, ah, this guy's an assistant coach. He went to BU, perfect guy to be an assistant. I really don't see that happening. I, he's a Yukon guy through and through at this point. He's already told BU no once. So I can't imagine oh, wow. a new coach is going to change that at all. When's BU going to hire their coach? I feel like they fired that guy like four weeks ago and they still haven't found anyone. I feel like it's been taking them forever. I don't know about you, but it seems like every single opening in college hockey, like none of the options are good for any of them. Like well, where well, are the good BU young hockey coaches? Well, for Bio, it's going to be Pandolfo. I feel like they're just waiting to the other yeah. game. It makes no like, unless maybe Eric Lang, like they want to get him out of AIC. But that's the only option I see for Bio. BC is probably going to hire that Greg Brown guy from Dubuque. That this is all my predictions. Or if they don't hire Greg Brown, it'll probably be like Mike Ayers, their like associate with York since Cav left. So I don't know. It's going to be one of those three guys. And then for Michigan State, I couldn't tell you. I don't watch too much Midwest hockey, so it could be no. it's probably going to be someone from like the Midwest I've never heard of. So, um, but yeah, yeah, that was, those, that's what, that's my predictions for their new head coaches. I think it's going to be Brown and um, Pandolfo. Yeah. I just find it weird that, I mean, I think it's fair to say that BC and BU are the two premier jobs in hockey East and the national, in the entire country. And there's no like slam dunk hire. And maybe it was just when Kevin Ollie got fired at UConn, Dan Hurley was just, there like that was a slam dunk hire so maybe it was just a matter of that but everything that i read just makes it seem like all the options are kind of underwhelming yeah so especially for bc their one good option doesn't want to go there so yes yes so i i don't know it'll be interesting i also feel like we might just be seeing a changing of the guards where you you UConn, baby, the new BU and BC. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like if you take out, which to be fair, like program tradition and prestige is important in college. Yeah. And, you know, the allure of playing in Boston and the bean pot and all those sorts of things. But in terms of athletic department support and, you know, the schools and the populations that you have to draw from, especially UMass, I think UConn's getting there. It's not quite there yet, but if Greg Carville goes and becomes the new head coach of, I don't know, the Sabres or someone, then that's going to be a very sought after job because you've got a big public school that's willing to invest in a hockey program that has unbelievable facilities that has already a history of winning in a prime location for recruiting. And UConn, once that ring gets done, if let's say Mike Cavanaugh gets hired by the Rangers and I, I'm literally making things up. I'm not saying Cav is yeah. ever going to go to the NHL, but Carvel turned down the NHL you know, from what I've heard. Who? Carvel, I heard, turned down an NHL job from what Oh, okay. Interesting. I think Lehman was getting thrown around as one of the names for the Sabres job, right? Yeah, I don't know if he turned it down. I, I, I Someone told me Carvel turned down an NHL job. That could be completely false. Okay. That was just something. Yeah. So, you know, UConn, you've got – a brand new arena, an athletic department that has more than a, like, yeah, sure. They have the deficit. They have more than enough money to throw into their hockey program. If they really wanted to great fertile recruiting grounds, great fan base that I think is still largely untapped. Like rowdy. 
yeah, you take, you take, again, you take out the program prestige. Can you really make an argument that BU or BC are better jobs in terms of facilities, in terms of support, in terms of financials, all those sorts of things? Maybe BC, I, I could listen to an argument for because, you know, the rest of the athletic departments and the ACC, but BU, I don't know. Same thing with Northeastern. Like, I think those schools will always be good at hockey, but will they ever be the dominant forces that they once were? I don't know, but we'll see. I feel like recruits go there because it's in Boston and because of it's BU. You just go to BU. Like, I feel like people aren't going to BU for people weren't going to BC for Jerry York. I, I feel like maybe that might be a hot take, but I feel like more people were going to Boston college because it's BC. I honestly don't know the program well enough to be able yeah. to say one way or another. Like I've never, I've talked, like I've asked Jerry York questions on a zoom, but I've never actually talked with him or like gotten to know yeah. him. So I honestly have no idea like what even the BC program that he ran was like. I don't know what any other program in hockey is really like besides UConn just because, you know, I have so much insight into UConn that anything else is a little tougher. Yeah. And then another thing I want to talk to you about is Matthew Wood. Is he going to come to UConn next year? And what can UConn fans expect from him? Will he be like Kale McCarr and explode into the UConn hockey world and win a Hobie Baker or will he just be – like Tage Thompson, a really solid player, but wasn't something, wasn't like a standout player in the national landscape. Yes. So he's coming next year. That one's been confirmed for a little while. Look, I know there's a lot of justifiable, uh, caution, cautious optimism about bringing in a kid so young, like Wood. he's 17, but he obliterated the BCHL this year. I think he was the leading goal scorer. He was the leading point getter. He's a power forward, but with plenty of skill to match. Yes, they've brought in kids early because that's been one of their recruiting methods to get talented players that haven't necessarily worked out all that well. Jan Kuznetsov, I don't think was necessarily the star defenseman that maybe was expected of him, even though he was a good player. Artem Schlein, I think, is kind of a similar example. Chase Bradley was going to BU, but he went to UConn because they gave him, they let him play college earlier than BU would have. Yeah, exactly. So there's plenty of examples like that. But no, Matthew Wood's coming to UConn because he's ready to play college hockey. You don't destroy the BCHL like that and like need another season of yeah. seasoning in the BCHL in juniors. From all I can understand, he's the best prospect they've ever gotten. Tage would is like clearly in the top tier. From all accounts, he's better than Tage. Oh wow! And yes, and you know, not that Tage was bad at UConn, but I think there is kind of a degree that Tage was supposed to be this Hobie Baker superstar, and he was never quite that. So I don't want to say that that's going to be Matthew Wood immediately right off the bat as a freshman, but as a sophomore, yeah, I think. I mean, there should be plenty of excitement for him one way or another, but I think we're talking about a guy who could really change the program the way that Kale McCarr did UMass, and oh, yeah. that's really probably the best recent example. So, yeah, they're losing a lot of guys, but Wood is someone who I think is the one guy that you can be legitimately excited about, and your only worry is his age, whereas Tiamonte, can he stay healthy? Adam Dawn, Justin Pearson, can they bounce back with better players around them? Ryan Twerberg, is he going to be like Johnny Evans and regress after his All-American year? Well, he's not coming in either. I don't know why I mentioned him. But um, all the freshmen, I mean, like I said, none of them really stand out in any way. I wouldn't expect any of them to be an All-American right off the bat. But I 
feel like Matthew Wood is probably good enough where he could be a legitimate All-American, All-League candidate right as a freshman. And he just feels like the perfect type of player for UConn, a power forward, a hard-nosed player, but he's also got skill. I mean, that's what every hockey coach wants, but we've seen UConn's physical style of play. Yeah. Yeah. Ruslan Asakovs are fun, but if you can get someone who can blow up another guy on the blue line, they'll take that. Oh, is he, is he like a hard – because my big worry for him was since he's going to be 17, like you'll probably have to throw him on the line with like Capone or um, Bradley just so they can have that physical presence so he doesn't get pushed around too much when he's on the ice. No, he's a big boy. Oh, I, really? I, let, me, let me look up what his numbers are, but, yeah, he's – He's well, not, he's not a, uh, he's not a small kid for age 17. He's a pretty big guy. I want to say he's all right. I got it here. He's six three one eighty five. Oh wow. So yeah, those are not the, that is, he is a child in age only. Yeah. So is he going to be a first round draft pick in 2023? Like, is he going to be a later first round, early first round, mid first round? Cause I feel like he reminds me a lot of Alex Newhook, a guy who toured up the BCHL. He's probably going to play college hockey for two years and could be a Hobie Baker candidate for the school he plays for. That seems like a reasonable comparison for me. Yeah, I think first round is, I don't want to say like on the table because that makes it seem like it's iffy, but I also don't want to say he's a lock to be a first round pick because so much can change in a year. But I think where he goes, and I think it's safe to say he'll probably be a first round pick. I think where he goes in the first round is going to, partially depend a lot on how he does in his first year at UConn. If he comes out and he's their leading scorer next year with 25 goals and 25 assists or something insane like that. Top 50. What team, yeah. yeah, What team isn't going to want to take him in the top 10 even because how many guys do you get that are fast, that have skill that can score and are big bodies like that. Those are not a dime a dozen, but those are valuable players. So Mm -hmm. I think he's, if he has a really good freshman year at UConn, I think he's going to get picked very high. I don't know exactly how high, and I don't like to pretend like I have any idea of what an NHL prospect looks like or what they're looking for, but I yeah. do believe he'll be a first-round pick. Yeah, people are comparing him to Trevor Zegers already, which I don't want to hype up the kid too much, but I'm just very excited to see what he's able to do uh, with U- UConn next year. It should be a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. I've never seen him play before, but – from everything I've heard, he's such a great player, and I think he's going to be a huge addition for next year's team. And I think he's a big reason why I have a lot of confidence in UConn potentially going back to the Hockey's Championship game. Right. Well, as we saw four years ago with that, the senior class that just graduated, that freshman class, Ruslan Asakov didn't do anything for most of the first half of the season because he got headhunted at uh, Quinnipiac. And then it took him a long time to get that confidence back in and going into those battles. And you know, not knowing you're not going to get hurt. And he was unbelievable by the end of the season. So, you know, if Matthew Wood doesn't score 10 goals in his first 10 games, that doesn't mean it's time to hit the panic button. But mm-hmm. if you can get him going by the end of the year or even just get the team rolling by the end of the year, yeah, I think at the very least, I think it's going to be a really interesting year. And even in a worst case scenario, I don't think they're going to take as far of a step back as we all think they will. Yeah. And even even still, BC just finished in eighth place. So and they lost it's their not... three players in McLaughlin, Hellison, and McBain. Like those were the only three reasons why they had like won some of those games. Because once those guys were that not there, like they could not win a game at all. Yeah, or like Providence. UConn's finished above Providence mm-hmm. each of the last three years, and Providence has had some really talented teams. So I think. You know, the way UMass Lowell plays, UMass Lowell is never the most talented team. I mean, 
it helps having Andre Lee because he was a cheat code, but he's not anymore though. Right, exactly. But I always said that UMass Lowell was the model that UConn wanted to have, where it doesn't matter how who you have on the roster, you're going to just play a style of play that inherently makes you a really tough team to go against. I think that's going to be UConn's ethos next year. Is I don't think they're going to be the most talented, but from what I know about these freshmen coming in, is they're all just scrappy puck hounds. And some of them have a scoring touch. And I think enough of them, you're bringing in enough of a class that some of them are going to hit right away. And you've got a decent core returning. And like you said, you've got a really good defensive core, which, you know, not to get too far off topic, but I always felt like Tomaj Vomajka's stats were better, or he was better than his stats indicated because, you know, his sophomore year, he had such a young decor ahead of him. And even his junior year I don't think they were that great defensively and he played much better than what his stats said this year I think it's almost going to be an inverse where you need the decor to be really strong because whoever you have back there you're going to have an inexperienced goalie whether it be Logan Turnus who's going to be a sophomore or Arseny Sergeev who's a very highly touted freshman and just destroyed was it the USHL yep he yeah, he had an unbelievable year in juniors as well. So you're not going to want them to be tested too much. So I just think, you know, as the season was going on, and I felt like they underachieved for a lot of the year, I always kind of was getting this feeling like, first, it's going to be the anti-ice bus season where they kind of fall backwards into the playoffs and then make a run, which is kind of what happened with Vermont. And next year's team wasn't going to have all that much talent, at least compared to what this year's team had but they were going to be scrappy. They were going to be tough and they were just going to find ways to win games. And the more I learn about some of these players coming in and the more I understand about how the roster might look, I just really feel like this team is going to find its identity quickly and it might not be pretty and it might not be the most fun hockey to watch, but I think they're going to just find ways to win and be really tough to beat. So that's kind of my very early feeling for this team. Yeah, and I think that leads into some of our fan questions because most of them were about next year's team. So first question is, who will be UConn's starting goaltender for next season? So I will guess I'll answer it first. And my guess it's probably they're going to probably roll with Turnus to start off the year just because he has one game experience. But I think it's what's going to be different for about next year versus this past year was when Hansen played well last year, I feel like they just kind of rolled with him. I feel like even if Turnus plays well, they're still going to give Sergeev some starts just because of the potential that he has. So I think they're going to split between Turnus and Sergeev throughout most of the year. And then if one of those guys wins the job, then that's who they're going to roll with throughout the second half of the season and during the playoffs. Yeah. So the important thing to remember about Turnus is he got hurt during the first half of the season and missed time. But even when he was back and available to play, I don't think they necessarily wanted to throw him out there at less than a hundred percent. So he would have gotten more playing time at, in the early part of the year if he didn't get hurt. But by the time he was really fully healthy and like they were felt comfortable putting him out there, Hanson was just playing so well that they didn't really want to mess with it. So if you kind of wondered why Turnus didn't get as much time, that's probably the big reason. I know they're still very high on Turnus. They were very high when he came in. I also know they're very high on Sergeev. So I think it can only help that you have two guys that, even though they're younger, have a lot of potential. I think, I, I, I don't know, something about Sergeev. I think Sergeev's going to be really good. I have, I mean, like obviously the numbers, but I just got a feeling about him. So yeah, maybe it's not Sergeev at the start of the year, but I bet 
by the time they get to the playoffs, Sergey is going to be the guy. Yeah, it's also going to be interesting too because I know Cav likes to roll with one goalie uh, throughout the season. So I think that's going to be the most interesting part is like how, I guess, uh, if he wants to do that for the beginning part of next year. I feel like he can't just because the goalies are so young. So I kind of hope he kind of goes against that for next year. You know, not that I don't understand that sentiment, but he split time when Adam Huska and Rob Nichols were together and Adam Huska and Tomasz Romaszka split time. And they just didn't have a backup that was worth playing with Tomas Romashka. And again, I think Tomas was so much better than his stats ever indicated that he was. And then, you know, you get this year and you have Turnus who's hurt for a lot of the year. So Cav has said that he prefers having the one, a guy, mm-hmm. but likes having a like clear cut backup. I just don't think he's, predisposed to I'm only rolling with one guy. I think that's just kind of the way that circumstances have played out the last couple of years, more so than a pure philosophical thing. Now they're going to have four goalies next year. How's that going to work? Or is one guy going to like not play, I guess? Well, that's what they've, I mean. Because I found that kind of weird. Because I know the that, reason why Pasquale is on the team is because Bradley Stone got hurt that one year, so they had to bring in a third string. Well, they... That was weird because that year, so that was three years ago, 2019-20, they were down to one goalie multiple games in that season, whether it was due to injury. Bradley Stone had like mono for a month. So they just went, screw it. We're bringing in another goalie because we're not dealing with the stress. So they brought in Pasquale. Then last year, Pasquale tears his labrum and needs surgery. So he's out for the year. So then you're just, you inherently have three guys. Then this year, Ryan Keene has the exact Mm -hmm. same surgery. So you still have three guys. I think they actually prefer having four just because it gives them plenty of insurance. It gives them two practice goalies really, because if you go into a weekend with the plan that Turnus is going to start on Friday night, Sergeev on Saturday night, and, you know, the forwards want to spend an hour shooting pucks after practice. You don't want either of those guys stopping those shots. So now you have two essentially practice goalies that are going to be able to do that. And Cav has talked about how valuable it is to have those guys. So I don't think they're worried about playing time. I don't think either of those guys are, you know, <laughs> coming into this year. Yeah. yeah. Coming in being like, you know, oh, I should be the starter. Like they know their role. They know what they signed up for. So I don't think it's really going to be much of an issue. They like having four goalies. Now, how do we like Wood? How does how does how how we like Wood looking in the U18 World Championship? To be honest with you, Jonathan, I have not watched a single minute of that tournament. But I know he got a goal uh, from Connor Bedard, who's the potential number one overall pick in the 2023 NHL uh, NHL draft. I guess the one thing I will say is, I if he has a good tournament, great. If he doesn't. It really doesn't matter. It just it, what the the world U eighteen doesn't really translate to college hockey because he's playing guys who are the same age as him. In college hockey, he's going to be literally going against grown men, and also he's playing with the best of the best, so it might make him look better than he would when he goes to UConn. So it's kind of hard to see what he's going to be like from that tournament. So it's kind of like the NBA summer league. If he has a good summer league, great. If he doesn't, then it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it's always just good to get experience with the national team and be playing yeah. with those teams. I mean, I think it's very possible, especially if he has a good start to the year, that he's going to not only be in World Juniors camp for Canada, but that he could even make the roster. So I think just the fact that he's there and is playing, that's a positive. I haven't had a chance to watch just because, you know, I've had uh, quite a few months. So I I have school at that time, so I can't be watching those games, unfortunately. I have sleep at that time. (laughs) So... 
now this guy asked a few questions. So I'll, let's, is Santa Joanna joined the team this upcoming season? You already told me no. So I don't know if you have yeah. any about that. It says on Elite Prospects he's going to come next year. So they have to update that. Elite Prospects has no idea what's happening. No disrespect to Elite, elite Prospects because they're a valuable resource. Oh, yeah. But they list basically every single guy that's committed to UConn is coming next year. So it's just so tough. It's tough for me to figure out when guys are coming and I have a better handle on it than anyone besides the coaching staff. So I can't like, you can't expect a website covering all of college hockey to really know. Yeah. I, I mean, he's had a pretty good year. I bet he probably just comes in next year. Um, They seem to have their class pretty set for the most part. I think it's going to be like eight freshmen or so. Um, I think they're pretty set with the, portal additions in terms of forwards so yeah i he's an o2 guy he's got another year him nate hanley i think are two guys that are probably going to come in next year and then you know there's plenty of commitments still to come too yeah absolutely and i love the team name he plays for the salmon arm silverbacks i think that's a cool name for any for a junior team so absolutely uh, next question he asked is did the high-end defenseman transfer never materialize because there are no high ends left in the portal um, I can't answer that. I knew they weren't going to get that guy from Miami just because it made no sense. I guess the only guy that I told you that they could get is Andrew Lucas from Vermont just because he has the hockey's connection. He's played very well against UConn for the time I saw him play. Um, I just see – I see that's the only one I see fit. But to be honest with you, I don't know too much about any of these other defensemen that are on the portal. But I didn't know much about Jared Gorley, and he turned out to be okay. So I don't think they're going to get anyone like – like really high end, but hopefully it's someone that can just like fill in a roster spot is my kind of take on it. So as far as I know, nothing's changed with that. I don't know what's taking so long. I literally first heard about this defenseman like the day after the season. So I genuinely don't know what is taking so long for him to finally commit, but I don't believe there's been any changes. I think so defense you know, committed. They just or they has this will go to UConn. He just hasn't like confirmed it to the coaching staff. He's he's like basically the way I was originally told is he's basically committed, but you never know what can happen. But like they feel pretty good about him. The last time I asked, they still felt pretty good about him. I I just truly don't know like what is taking so long. But I'm looking at least at Mike McMahon's transfer portal document and i'm looking at him and it doesn't say that he's committed anywhere else so i'm still expecting him to come i again just don't know what's taking so long and i asked someone earlier today what is taking so long and never got a response so any uh any uh like hint that who it could be or you can't say <sighs> uconn played his team this past year okay that's a good hint that's a good hint. maybe i might if i'm right about that transfer thing I want more followers on Twitter. That's all I'm going to say for that. Because <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not as insider as you are, but I make, I have, I think I make pretty decent predictions for some things. So now next yeah, see, question. I oh, can't even make predictions because I know what's happening. So, yeah. so that's what you do when you have a podcast. You just like, especially during the off season, you just come up with some takes and hopefully they work out. So, Hey, I respect it. Next one is Pereira is following Lane Hudson, high end of BU defenseman commit. Any chance? My guess is no, because Joe follows a lot of people on Twitter. Um, he follows us on Twitter, so thank you for the follow, Joe. We really appreciate it. But um, I don't think he comes just because they already have their defenseman set. But he's projected to be a second round pick this year, so I feel like if he wants to come to UConn, they would let him. 
Yeah, like <laughs> UConn would absolutely take him. That's not a question. Um, I would just always warn about reading too deep into anyone following anyone yeah. on Twitter. I mean, it also could just be that they were interested in him. And, you know, a huge thing with college hockey recruiting is the process is so long for some kids. Like UConn already has multiple 05 commitments. And while they're getting 05 commitments, they're getting 01 guys to commit. So it's such a long process. It doesn't always work out. And I can't think of, I think it was Cassidy Bowes. They were recruiting him out of college or, or they were recruiting him out of juniors, but he committed to Michigan, but then he had a lot of injuries. So then he decommitted from Michigan or Michigan booted him. And they still had that relationship in order to get him or, you know, Kevin O'Neill, they recruited him out of high school or out of juniors and he went to Yale, but then when he hit the portal, they still had that connection for him, brought him in. So, you know, even if he's going to BU, the transfer portal exists, maybe he doesn't like BU, maybe you know, he's not committed to BU anymore because Albie O'Connell's no longer there. Maybe Joe Pereira is friends with his dad. There's yeah. so many different reasons that he could be following him on Twitter, but, you know, the relationship could be there, and maybe that leads to something down the road, even if it's not necessarily this season. Yeah. And the last question, yes, any conference schedule update? Probably around the summer. Um... I Honestly, <laughs> I'll probably know tomorrow, which I know isn't the greatest answer, but by the time people – people are listening to this, I might actually be able to get it. Um, I'm confident it's already set, but you know, the season ended and then I had to go cover the last two weekends of women's basketball. And then I went to St. Martin and then, you know, there was all the Cavs stuff. So it's not like I could just call up Cav and be like, Hey, uh, so what did you think about like X? Like, obviously you gotta let that play out. So I'm now just able to start getting into postseason stuff and off season stuff. So that'll be on the top of my list of questions. But you know what? Just to take a wild guess, I'm sure there's going to be Sacred Heart. I bet AIC is going to be on it. Yes, you definitely. Uh, they were supposed to play him at home this year, and that never happened. So that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. So like it, the usual suspects, I bet are going to be on it. I just a Midwest team to come to UConn. It never happens. It's always it, like you see UMass. Denver goes to UMass. They're going to have Michigan coming there soon. It's just like why can't UConn have one Midwest team come to Hartford? Like it, it, they, last time that happened was Ohio State, and that was like four years ago. Like. I, it just makes me so mad. Like, I just want – like, why can't they get Omaha to come to UConn? Like, that's a good team for UConn to play. Like, so I'm hoping that they have at least, like, one of those Midwest teams come. The only team that I know will probably come to UConn next year is Harvard because they played them on the road mm-hmm. last year. And that would be a great opening night uh, for the new rank, in my opinion. But that could be – No, I agree. So well, that's Ohio State – Oh, sorry. Yeah, Ohio State – yeah, Ohio State was supposed to come during the pandemic year, and then, you know, obviously. So, also, UMass won a national championship, so they, just they get a little more. Know? No, I know, I know. Like, even, like, UNH gets some, like, really decent non-conference teams. It's just, like, it would be nice if UConn could get, like, some different teams to come to Hartford because it feels like if it's a good team, they, UConn's always the road team. They're never the home team, so. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So that should be interesting. Then another one that I just want to throw out there, which would be cool, would be Holy Cross. It's so close. I think that would be an interesting one. Um, I would like to see that, especially since their coach was a former Quinnipiac assistant. So I think that would be cool. And I just, Holy Cross should be in hockey since it makes so much sense. They're in the New England area. They could definitely recruit Massachusetts kids. So that's just like a random tidbit I want to throw out there. 
they'd have to build their own rink. The DCU center like refuses <laughs> to let them play there for some reason. I don't know why, but that's yeah. apparently like the one hurdle. So if Holy Cross got around to building a new rink, I think they would be in hockey East tomorrow, but well, I don't know if they actually want to commit that. East. Right. Right. So, and that's, that's the one reason why I love elite prospects because for women's hockey, Daniel, it is so hard to find out like numbers for these players. So elite prospects is the only thing that you can find out for some of those. So, Mm-hmm. Now, last question is um, rank your top five jobs in college hockey. Top 10 if you're feeling spicy. I don't think you can Luke. think of 10 jobs, so I'm going to do a five. For me, number one job, and this could be available this summer if the guy's contract expires, which is being reported, is Michigan. You got It's the biggest brand name, I feel like, in college hockey. And, and they also play in a great conference in the Big Ten. They get big recruits that come there. Michigan is probably the most high-end job that you can get in college hockey. Number two, I'll put BU just because it's Boston University, the history of the program. It's in Boston. You get those high-end recruits. And then I'll put BC at number three just because I feel like BU is more of a hockey school than BC is. So that's why I put BU at number two. Then BC as number three just because you're in the ACC. Um, just to, And also it's, in, it's, I guess, technically in the Boston area. So that would be my number three. And then number four is Minnesota. That's like a every kid from Minnesota watches the Gophers growing up. It's in the Big Ten, so that's another big job. And then number five, and this might be a little wild card, is North Dakota. I will say this: it's in the middle of nowhere, but those people care a lot about that program. And it's like basically when you go to North Dakota, that's the team. So those are my top five. I feel like are the most like highly touted after jobs. I have a I have a lot of the same teams. Yeah, Michigan's probably a tough one to beat because. Like if you're BU name. or you're like, you got the brand name, but you've also got this big athletic department behind you. Like BU, you are the athletic department. If you're the hockey team, every other program is in a very low level conference. You're not Michigan. Like that is a flagship program at a flagship university. I think number two, this might be a hot take, but Denver Whatever coach is there always seems to figure out a way to win a national championship. I don't know what it is. They just seem to cycle through coaches and all of them seem to figure it out. So they've got so much success. I think there is a certain degree of, you know, like I know I just said Michigan so successful because they are part of a bigger athletic department. Well, but at the same time, I think ships in hockey are tied. With yeah. Them. Yeah. Like I think just being your like being the team on your program also has its benefits being the team in Colorado. I mean, I know Colorado college is there, but Denver is just in a different stratosphere being the premier option out West West. And, you know, I just saw them front row at the frozen four. So I think that helps a little bit, but you know, there's just some programs that always seem to figure it out no matter who's in charge. And that really feels like a program as opposed to somewhere like, you know, right now, UMass, you, there's no evidence that UMass can be a successful hockey team beyond Greg Carville. I don't actually believe that, but we'd have to see someone else succeed at UMass to know, okay, that's a hockey program. That's not just a Greg Carville program. Denver is a hockey program. Three and four, I think, is where I'd throw BC and BU um, in reverse order. So BU three, BC four, just for the same things you said, although... I feel like BC's almost got the better financial support with the ACC money, even though that's not directly for hockey. The athletic department's in a better spot, but at the same time, BC's athletic department is very poorly run. So I'll probably stick with BU four or three. 
BC five, four, no, BU three, BC four, five. See, there's like so many different options like Minnesota or you mentioned North Dakota, like North Dakota, talk about a rabid fan base. It doesn't matter where they play. There's, they show up. Those are the biggest fans I've ever seen. (laughs) <laughs> Even like Mankato is kind of yeah. similar to Denver where like literally just hand them a youth team and they'll probably go off to the frozen four. Not that I think that's a great job though. Like I think I'd probably go Minnesota without knowing the yeah. Western teams. I feel like Northeastern would probably be number three on my Yukon or on my hockey East list. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think you could actually make an argument that UMass is one of the better jobs in the country now. Um, I think UConn might be like 10 years away from being on that list, especially if Cav can get him to a frozen four or a national, like if Cav wins a national championship, I think UConn shoots up the rankings because of all the things we mentioned earlier. Um, who else is there? I mean, Quinnipiac. Yeah, I know it's been mostly Rand Pecknold, but I mean, they have all the elements that make a successful program on top of having a coach, however you feel about him because I know he doesn't have the biggest fans everywhere, but most coaches yeah, don't. No, that's, <laughs> that's fair. Um, yeah. I, I feel half decent about that top five. Luke, you're not getting a top 10. That's yeah. I can't think I'm of just going to embarrass myself. Yeah. So, and then uh, the one thing I also want to ask you about um, is just the departures from the team. Now I know Bose and Telegwin have not, are still in the transfer portal. They won't be returning to the team. I'm just want to get confirmation from you about that. Bose definitely not. Teleguin, I'm not positive. I like personally, I hope Teleguin comes back because I was a big Sasha Teleguin guy and I really like his skill set. Best Sally of the year when he did the Bobby Orr. Absolutely. No, <laughs> like not even a close second. Um I would guess though that he's probably leaving just, I think that feels, I think last year was just a little weird with the COVID year and, you know, the guys who went in and came back, Ryan Keene and Ryan Wheeler, like, I feel like they're in different spots than where Sasha Telegwin is. I don't think you just explore your options after one year. Then like, I don't think anyone is really like a bad loss. I think, the worst one is probably Schlain, but I always got the sense that there was a little something weird going on there. Um, so I don't really think it's the world's biggest loss. I think they can survive pretty comfortably without that. I'm personally, I'm more upset about Telegwin. I really liked Telegwin, yeah. but you know, Carter Berger, I just never thought really lived up to his potential and was, wasn't good enough on offense to justify for his struggles on defense and, you know, like boat Cassidy Bowes, I thought was a good player when he played, but I feel like he can get plenty of guys to replace him. I'm like, he's had he, bad luck too. He's been injured a lot. And yeah, time he's in the lineup, like, you know, like, I don't know. I just felt like there was something missing with him. And I feel like when Jake Valu got in the lineup, like in that game against UNH, he basically just took Cassidy Bowes spot. Like you could just tell like Valu just fit in that role much better. And that's mm-hmm. why, and I, I was like, man, like, I really like this Volu guy a lot. You don't notice him, but that's like a good thing. Cause he's just like a grindy fourth line player. And I think mm-hmm. he was like a big reason why you kind of had some success in the second half of the year. So, um, and I just, that's, that was just my kind of take on it. It's like once Volu got in the game, he basically took Bo's spot. Yeah. I was really surprised by Jake Volu's emergence just because I really thought he was 
like going to be the new John Wojciechowski where if everybody else was hurt <laughs> and like the entire club team died in a car accident, then like, yeah, then he would go in and play. But no, he was really impressive. Also, Mike McMahon has Gavin Pushkar in the transfer portal. I saw that. I, he never I played, haven't. So. <laughs> he never played, but I actually like haven't confirmed that he's in the portal at all. Like, um, I've got a portal guy, and he's never said that Gavin Pushkar is in the portal. So, like, not that I'm doubting Mike McMahon, and like it lines up if he is transferring, but I just personally haven't confirmed that. Yeah, Pushkar played like one game like during the COVID year, and like I didn't really see much of him in that game. So. I feel like he's probably the next Wojciechowski if he had to pick someone. He was, I mean, he was a prep guy, so came right out of prep. They've had some success doing that with whether it be Mark Gatcomb or, I know I'm blanking on one, Jake Flynn, another guy. So, you know, it works out sometimes. doesn't work out other times. Again, like, I think this is just going to be the new world that we live in where, you know, the bottom of the roster kind of churns every year. And that's, you could argue whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it's just where we're going to be in the world. So yeah, I wish I had a better sense of what the roster might look like. I think I will tomorrow. So I will at least be sure to share that as much as I can on all the channels. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely, be, I'll definitely be looking forward to it. I'm going to miss though. Carter Turnbull. That was my guy. I loved him. He was like my favorite player. And I was so disappointed when he signed with South Carolina. I was like, man, I want him to take a fifth year so bad. But he's killing it with uh, the Stingrays. That's might as well be the UConn Stingrays with O'Neal and Evans there as well. So yeah, that's pretty definitely awesome. gonna miss Turnbull and Condalik's gonna be a huge loss as well. Like those players, like that's gonna be a big question mark for UConn is how do those top end guys get replaced um, offensively? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yakum. I think I don't know if I would make the argument, but I am excited to explore this idea that. I think you could actually make an argument that Yakum's the best player in program history. Whether or not you want to make that argument is a different thing, but I think there is a solid argument to make just in terms of sheer volume and the impact that he had on this year's team. Whereas like Max Latunov was amazing, but he was amazing in a much shorter time frame. Yeah. So um and then like Tage was incredible too. And like, so I years, that was yeah, so I think you can make an argument for it being Yakum, whether or not you want to believe the argument is you know, up to you, but it is there. So yeah, I think of all the guys are really going to miss, I think Yakum's going to be number one just because he did so many different things for this team and there's no one that you can really replace him with. Yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see how the transfers hold up just because Justin Pearson had better numbers than Kevin O'Neill did in his, in the same year. And I feel like if you're surrounded with better talent, which I feel like you're going to, because yeah, was one of the worst teams in college hockey last year. I feel like he's going to shine a little bit and Adam Daw, I liked him a lot from the time as he's kind of a young little scrappy guy and I don't know if you remember this but at the end of the game against Maine two years ago he punched Tomas Vomashka and like the huge brawl started out so I think that's gonna be interesting when he gets to the locker room for the first day if any of those guys who are on that team ask him about that because I don't know if you remember that at all I forgot about that but I do I remember it even though I had forgotten about it you know it, it was funny like if you told me I had to name one guy on Maine's team, the number one guy I would have mentioned was Adam Daw because Cav would gush about him every time <laughs> they would play Maine. And it would be like, all right, look, like this guy seems like he's all right, but like, why are we getting into this much depth? But um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how those three transfers come along because they all have plenty of question marks, but 
you know, if yes, they could all be really good players as well. So I don't think any of them are slam dunks the way that and not that any of the transfers this year were slam Master dunks. Simone, um, I saw him play with B. I always liked him. I feel like he's probably a big slam dunk. And then Ty Smolanek. I don't watch too much Quinnipiac, but the guy has put up a lot of big numbers last year. Which I think who else was in the transfer portal that I thought was kind of a big name. Those are the two that stood out to me the most. Uh, so I think like some of those, there's there's been a few um, that stood out to me, but nothing that like I feel like most of the guys are just like I think they have a lot of potential, but it's if if they pick the right team, if the team that wants them there can unlock that potential, I guess is what I'm trying to put out. Yeah, I like again, so much could potentially change before any of that happens. So I think they're good pickups. I think they're low risk, high reward pickups, which is pretty much as good as you can ask for, for where UConn is, because I know for a fact that UConn's run through the hockey's tournament got them more interest from the transfer portal, but you're still not going to be competing with those top end programs to get, you know, like the kid from Miami or like those type of top top recruits that's just not realistic so yeah UConn's always had to find unique ways to get talent in and you know that's not as much as it was maybe five years ago as we're seeing with Matthew Wood and some of the other 05 guys that they've landed but I think that's kind of the case in the transfer portal where you're getting three guys who could be really good but may need a little help or may need some things to go right for them yeah, I'm just looking at the portal now. Liam Walsh, who was a good player for Merrimack, he's going to Northeastern. Casey Dornbach was a good player for Harvard. He was in the portal. Jackson Pearson, we all know how good he is with UNH. He went, he's going to Notre Dame. I uh, looked at that too. I was like, oh, man, Jackson Pearson? Oh, yeah. he's already committed. Yeah, but that, those are some big names. Um, and then Jack Purvix from Minnesota. So they ha- there are some big names, but I feel like I was, my guess is they, they kind of knew that they were, where they were going to go before um, they – officially went in the portal so yeah which is like sure that might be a little shady but i'm fine with it especially a guy like you know i think pearson has one year left yeah like Pearson's from grad transfers so makes sense yeah <laughs> like uh, if you're a grad transfer and you know you're leaving your school go out and figure it out like yeah. I, i'd have more of a problem if it's like you know if one guy committed to a program but the moment he committed to that program another team had been in his ear saying transfer to us transfer to us and then he transferred but yeah. you know grad transfer i think that's such a like grad transfers and normal transfers i feel like are two different worlds even though they're lopped in under the same thing so merrimack's got some good transfers too some sneaky good players so that that should be fun to interesting to see how that works out so I would like credit for saying that Merrimack could be a sneaky contender in hockey East this past year. I know they're losing Walsh, but I, I like this Will Calvary guy that they got just checking out his numbers. So, um, Also, Hugo Olis is going to be really good next year. Oh, yeah. And I, they, they, have, they, have, they, also, they had really good players. I'm trying to think who's returning for them. I don't know. There were some guys that I really liked. That I Jeffries. Think, yeah, Jeffries was good. I like Carlisle, but I know he's – I was just going to say, Tampa. yeah. I'm trying to think who else um, was good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like they have some guys though that are coming back that could be fun to see. So they're kind of they remind me a lot of the old 2017-18 UConn team where the guys they have like don't really like stick out to you, but they could go on a run and like surprise a lot of people. Just got some dudes. Yeah. So and then the last question I want to ask you is the new rank. Um, is that gonna be ready? I was talking. I had a, I have an interview coming up with one of the women's hockey players, and she said by Christmas it will be ready. So I'm assuming her word is probably the most accurate. Is that what you've been hearing too? That's going to be ready by Christmas time. Yeah, she 
probably knows better than I do. I have heard that it's all on schedule and things are actually going to plan with it, which anyone is familiar with. Like October? Oh, I I don't think it was ever supposed to open in October. They were like throwing fall 2021 out there. I don't think that was ever realistic. No, it'll be open for next season at some point. Probably January. Like January was always the target date. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason when they announced it, they started throwing out fall 2020. 2022 which i thought was weird january if that's like the realistic target date i think they're on time for that um again like i'll probably know more tomorrow (laughs) but i from all i've heard to this point is it's all going pretty well and how is that going to work with season tickets because i have season tickets and is it going to be like i have to pay extra money to watch the games in stores like which games will be played in stores next year if there are any i feel like the the big opening game is going to be a big matchup so I'm just curious what you know about that. I'm not that plugged into the tickets, but I feel like UConn will communicate that when it gets closer. Like, Mm -hmm. have they even sent anything about season tickets yet for next year? Hopefully they handled that situation better, but definitely something. If, if I hear anything, I'll try to communicate that, but I feel like you will as well. So. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come out sooner rather than later. Awesome. Well, I'll be checking out the new stadium this Saturday while I see a UConn softball game. So I'm looking forward to, Seeing what nice. it looks like. Haven't seen the stadium in person, which is a bit surprising. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the outside looks like. I saw what the inside looks like. Someone tweeted out today. It looks nice. So yeah, I, I saw that it. too. I can't wait to see how it um, looks at the one once everything is finished. It should be a lot of fun. And looking forward to potentially hearing who their first opponent for that new rink might be. So um, if you can ask Cav that question, that'll be great. That's my my one thing. I've I've got a list. It'll go on the list. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Daniel. It really means a lot. Make sure to read his work on the UConn Hockey blog. And you can also read his work about the women's basketball team as well. And you guys cover men's basketball and baseball, right? Not just women's basketball and hockey. So yeah, um, we cover as well. Yeah, we cover everything, not everything on the blog, but the big sports Mm -hmm. um, on the blog, football, basketball, baseball, soccer too. when that comes back around. So yeah. Awesome. Well, We'll read all that stuff. It should be a lot of fun. And Daniel, thanks for coming back on. For sure. Thanks for having me. You, I've been trying hard to keep my cool. But when you're near, there's nothing that I can do. When you're walking in, I know it's true. Cause when I hear your voice, my walls come